This is the one with the Welsh map-making Da Vinci. Sonicking and entering. Damn dirty apes! And the Klimpari defence. It's called the Hungry Earth. Here we go! <laughs> We're still on our endless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Sabine and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Uden, wow! Tenant Smith and Eccleston. And Capaldi, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but who? Who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. May I compliment you on choosing our podcast tonight? What excellent taste you have. You must admit to a little bias. <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Hmm, yes, okay. I'm just going to enjoy this moment, podcast land. <laughs> right, this episode is N068, The Hungry Earth. And I bet you're hungry to hear who's on the podcast tonight to describe this episode to you. I am Drew Back Wen, and sitting across from me, my sole co-host tonight is... Ponken. Hello, Drew. Hello, Ponken. And hello, Podcast Land. We envisage this review being a little shorter than usual. <laughs> Than usual, than, than the last couple of episodes have been. The couple, last couple of New Who reviews, anyway. Yes, this yeah. will not be an hour 40 bladder buster. Yeah, after stuff has been edited out of that, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> yes, we're going to finish well before midnight tonight. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> so, this episode mm -hmm. is written by... Mr. Chris... Chibnall. Yes, the incoming showrunner. Indeed. And I, I could not get that out of my mind as the episode passed by before my eyes. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't realise it until afterwards. Oh, no, it was weighing heavily on me. Okay, so in what way did it affect your viewing experience? Well, I was really invested in it being good. Oh, okay. And, cool. well... Oh, really? We'll get to that. Oh, no. You'd like to? Oh, so, so, no. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a little bit, but I believe before we press record, you floated the word mediocre. Maybe that's where I stand as well. Yeah. Shall we B-scout this? Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview, this free-for-all. We like to call a bisexual of who. The Doctor fails to take his travelling companions to Rio in 2020 and instead lands them in an all but deserted Welsh valley. There, two scientists are running a drill kilometres into the planet's nether regions, for goodness knows what reason, when they unwittingly awaken seemingly the Earth itself. <laughs> I'm not going to do the accent. <laughs> I stay just this side of Kingston, Jamaica. Oh, well done. Oh, yeah, well oh done. it was oh, well done. just there. <laughs> when the subterranean threat chows down on Amy, Doc and Rory team up with a few of the locals and, armed only with a Meals on Wheels van, a pair of Ray-Bans and a Dennis the Menace catapult, must once again save mankind. Biscow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just so... Mediocrity be damned, we're going to get some fun out of this. Yes, we will. Aren't they always the most fun to talk about? Well, no, because... Oh, no, really? Because the absolutely terrible, the ones with, the ones with <laughs> misguided flair, like yeah. the Vampires of Venice, those are the ones that are most entertaining to dump on. But slightly underwhelming procedurals like this one are the harshest test of our comedic metal. Okay, question for you. Yeah. This is a two-parter. Have you seen the second part? 
I had never seen either of these parts. <laughs> Back in okay. 2010, I was a month away from getting married, so I didn't see any television. Wait, so Doctor Who whole... wasn't a priority in your life? Is that what you're saying? Well, we did plan <laughs> on having the season finale broadcast over the reception, but <laughs> there was a World Cup match on on our wedding day, so we couldn't risk having a television in case, you know, all our friends turned over <laughs> to watch, a, you know, another thrilling nil-nil draw with Costa Rica or Honduras or wherever. Right. Okay. Uh, enough about football. Understood. Well, the reason I ask is I haven't rewatched the second part either, and I don't remember where it goes, so how sure can we be that as a whole, this two-parter is just a procedural? Oh, well, I don't know about next week, but I'm purely pronouncing on this week. Okay. <laughs> it's an entirely procedural first part. Certainly is. It's, it's functional, isn't it? Because this is like the Sontarans in Series 4. Yeah. And the Cybermen in the middle of Series 2. Basically, every series now, at least in this stretch of New Who, it's like, we're going to resurrect a classic foe, bring them into the new era, give them a two-parter, and send them on their way. Okay, but you know what else this is? This is not only a direct sequel to a classic serial called The Silurians, or possibly Doctor Who and The Silurians, in fact, Pertwee serial, but it is also all but a remake of it. At the very least, the setup is almost identical. It was a nuclear power plant, not a drill, in the original. Here it's a drill. Either way, someone's doing some industrial, you know, they're getting up to some industrial shenanigans up top. Except a drill is is much less exciting than a nuclear power plant's (laughs) involvement. But the drill... This is where we're getting into a little bit of a trivia territory. The drill here, they call the Discovery Team, right? Like the Discovery Drill or whatever. Okay. This is the same name of the drill that featured in another serial, another Pertwee serial called Inferno, which combined with Silurians, I feel very much makes up this one. Well, that's interesting because as I was going through this episode, a lot of the notes I was making were, huh, this reminds me of a bit from another better episode. <laughs> Like, this is, this is a nice callback, but standing by itself, what does this episode have? So you mentioned the Sontarans. Yes. And what in particular, what, what's the reference that you're, the parallel that you're drawing? Well, it's essentially a series level structural one. Okay. Where, you know, episode five, six, seven, eight, where there's a bit of bagginess in the middle of the season, where you don't have to be driving hard towards the end goal, and you don't have to be introducing the companions sure. quite so much. The focus can go on bringing back the classic foe, and so that's really the parallel here. Okay. Yeah, I gotcha. And I felt there was a lot less verve and pep and brio than when, <laughs> you know, little Dave Hedgehog was... Barking orders as Commander Skarn or Michael Skarn or whatever his name was. General Skarn of the Tenzontaran fleet. Score? 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 Oh. Skarn the undefeated. Scar? Something like that. Yeah. You agree with my basic point? I do, yes. Excellent. <laughs> That's always a good start. So, wait, hang on. Can we talk about this whole drilling operation for a bit? Yes, I'm always up for a bit of drilling. Number one. Why are they drilling into the earth? Beyond because it's there. The blue grass, that's why. They do provide an in-episode explanation. This blue grass that's oh, yeah. coming up. I mean, that presumably, since we've drilled down 20 kilometers and haven't found the answer yet, there must be an answer in the 21st kilometer. And if not there, the 22nd kilometer. Because what's down there in the upper layer of the earth's mantle is directly related to the grass growing in this churchyard. Yeah, and I, it, grass famously has really deep roots. So, uh, yeah, you yeah. can't pull that shit up. <laughs> it just keeps coming and coming. <laughs> oh, <dear>. <laughs> <laughs> That's question one. Question yep. two. Yep. If there had been stinging nettles 
with routes going down 20 kilometers. I'd have believed that. Those fuckers are impossible to extirpate. <laughs> but if that's the case, I, like, I would like to see that. Or I could, I can well imagine seeing that sort of setup in a Doctor Who serial in the future. But then I expect the foe to be plant based. Then I expect, you know, the roots to actually, or the plants to have an actual role in the story. Oh, in like, this in, case. like in Doctor Terror's House of Horror. A plant like that could take over the world. Yes. JD oh. must never watch it. Oh. <laughs> or is it Tales from the Crypt? Some one of those. No, no, it's a uh, little shop of horrors, isn't it? No, no, that's I know what you mean, the Feed Me Seymour. Yeah. No, this is this is a sixties British sort of oh. hammer horror anthology. Oh, I see. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. JD would hate it. Hi JD. Would. Hello JD. Miss you. Yeah, right, okay. You were going to say there's a question. Yeah. Or a second point. Oh, right, okay. So here's another thing then. Who are these clowns? I mean, there are, there are two people, scientists, who are behind the whole thing. Yeah. And there's, what, like a handful of people running this drill. And they're all related, apart from Mira Sayal. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wait, are they all related? Yes. Tony is Ambrose's father, and... Wait, Mo how do you know is... these names? Because I paid attention. Wait, Tony is... Tony is the old red coat. He's the... Who gets the venom in the neck. Exactly, he's the love interest. Then then there's... Ambrose, Wait, his Ambrose. daughter. Oh, right, who is married to... What's his face? Mo. Who his is father the father of... His father of Dyslexic Elliot. <laughs> dyslexic Elliot, yes. Uh, <laughs> T.E. Phone Home. Anyway, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay, so... It's a family operation. It's a mom and pop drill 21 kilometers into the earth operation. Yeah, and a nickel and dime brick and mortar. Let's yeah. get ourselves some earth core. Yeah, exactly. Why? Just your average family startup descent into hell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. It's never explained. Wales is fairly impoverished, so I suppose land values there are quite low but this structure rises hundreds of meters above the valley floor yeah where did they get it from yeah okay there's no government support because matt smith comes along and says i'm from the ministry and they go (laughs) no you're not this is a this is a private thing you got no business here okay (laughs) yes yeah exactly okay wait hang on still not entirely clear well, no, it just gets more fuzzier than ever. The, the deeper you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, here's another thing. So, they are drilling 21 kilometers down. Yeah. And I understand that this drill may in some way, it might awaken someone, it might catch their attention, the Silurian's attention. Yeah, that's if it doesn't get to the Rachnos first. Oh, well, yeah, well done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or any number of things that live, you know, intra-terrestrials. Okay, that's 21 kilometers down. But how shallow are graves that sit atop a hill? And why do they, digging a shallow grave atop a hill, why does that offend the Silurians? Yeah, and why is that? Is that their source of food, of sustenance? Like, I don't Aunt think Gladys, so. Was Aunt Gladys tremendously large? I mean, when Rory was standing in that grave, it seemed fairly spacious. But why would they... I mean, would she make that much of a thud when the coffin was lowered into the ground that they felt it, their roof shook? No. They saw not. This is this is our lunch for a week. What's going on there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I don't understand. And I tell you what, that sort of looseness, that sort of vagueness, it contrasts very much with what I was referring to as the procedural element of this episode, where Chibnall he goes into a bit more detail in terms of 
okay, we're going to set up a command base. Now, what does that entail? Why? I'll tell you what that entails. We're going to have a number of montages where we're going all around setting up the sensors, the monitors, the lights, the everything. Setting up the base, yeah. Yes. Oh, God, that, that is, that's the worst, by the way. Well, I was going to say, it takes none of that for granted, but it's so uninteresting. Is that, what, is that why you think it's the worst? No, it is the worst. All right, I have a feeling that we're about two segues away from talking about, is his name Elliot, the kid? Yeah, dyslexic Elliot. Dyslexic Elliot. Wait, let's not single him out just because he's dyslexic, even though I disagree with them saying, or the doctor saying that Da Vinci... Fuck it, we're going to talk about that later. Hang on. Here's why the montage is the worst ever. The doctor says, hey, Elliot, go and draw me a map of the whole town, by which he means everything under the dome. Oh yeah, we didn't mention there's like an energy dome that now surrounds the church and presumably the graves, like the cemetery basically around the church. That's it. Okay. Yeah. And nothing can go in or out. In the meantime, they are setting up cameras and sensors everywhere, and he's programming a laptop to show a digital map of the entire town. In fact, live streaming what's happening everywhere, which is infinitely better than Elliot's hand-drawn map. Oh. Right? Yeah, and so, 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 so all the information Elliot puts on that map... Is unnecessary. Yeah. The doctor already has that in his head. Yeah. Doc gets the kid to draw a map that is entirely useless as he already has the computer rendering with cameras set up all over the place. In real time. Yeah. He doesn't need the kid to do anything. And then after we, we're treated to like three, four minutes of set up cameras and sensor montage, the electricity gets cut out and those three minutes are rendered null and void. And does he then resort to the hand-drawn map? Oh. No. Oh, because that would have tied it all together. That's the only reason. It was that close. It's the only reason we, we need him to indulge this stupid kid. Again, not stupid because he's dyslexic. Stupid because he fell for the doc's trick of draw me a map. Yeah. The, the doc tricked him into thinking he was bonding when yeah. really he just wanted the kid as far away from him as possible. Yeah. Unless, I mean, he's prepared to... I, I reckon the doctor hates children and that's why he very deliberately... Nothing escapes the doctor. He very deliberately goes, kid... Go go and get your headphones. They're <laughs> crucial to the plot. <laughs> and then he, you know, sacrifices him to the Silurians. A- anyway, the, 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 <laughs> we don't know. Maybe this map will come up again in part two. But the dome is tiny. You can remember what's around there, right? Yes. You don't need a map drawn. In fact, everyone but Rory and Doc, they know the area. Yeah, and, and the Doc and Rory, they landed right in the focal point at the church, which is... At the top, they can look down, they can see everything. The Doctor instantly has an indelible mental map. Next episode, they're going to war. That's going to be on a global scale, or at least in a subterranean sort of sense. Are they going to need the map then? Yeah. Don't think so. No. Yeah. Oh, that's really annoying, because I was going right. to come to little Welsh Elliot's defence. Oh, okay. Uh, please, defend him. Because you, <laughs> you, you sort of sneer at his advanced map-making skills, but this kid has never left this village. As someone who grew up in a village about that size, you know every inch of it. You've seen it on maps, the, and you're he, thrilled to see it on maps, because it's so small. You can't believe that your village has made it onto a map. Someone, Some cartographer walked by and noticed us. Thank you! I'll commit this to memory. The, th- there is nothing wrong with that map. That map is great. Well yeah. drawn, Elliot. Well drawn. Useless map. Mm. Entirely pointless. Not even it doesn't even qualify as a plot device. No, right? And it could have done so easily, as you say. Yeah. The doctor could have had like a, a Welsh mining lamp on. Uh, I mean, know, w- there'd be plenty of them around, and he'd be like, "Well, I do have one light, ka-ching, and I do have one map." Flap. 
And then okay, here's like, the thing. Maybe that'll that'll happen in part two. Maybe, but he's underground. The TARDIS has been buried alive. So is Elliot, right? So maybe Elliot still has the map, and they're going to meet up underground, and he's going to go like, how do we go get up? Where do we emerge? Oh, let's look at this shitty map that this kid drew, even though I have a photographic memory, and I know exactly where everything is anyway. Yeah, let's do that. And thus, Elliot's existence on Earth, or indeed below it, is justified. That would be cool. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody else has rewatched part two before listening to this. So either they're going, yes, well predicted, or, well, you obviously watched that already, or you could not be more ignorant and wrong. Or if you're listening to this in the future, it, after you've listened to this review, listen to our review of the next episode and hear us go, yeah, well, there you go, in your face, or, well, fine, we were wrong. Yeah. We're not above admitting that. No. We're we, fine with that. We want to grow and learn from our mistakes. Yeah. Let's talk dyslexia. Yes. So, <laughs> the doc says Da Vinci was dyslexic. And Einstein. Uh, Einstein, I believe, was dyslexic, right? I honestly no idea. I, th- I think he was. But Da Vinci was not. I googled this because I was like, no, that, that cannot be true. And the only reference to this that I could find was on, I shit you not, dyslexia.org slash famous people. Hmm. The reason that they were saying, uh, oh, Da Vinci was dyslexic was because he wrote in mirror image. But he did that deliberately. He did that, right? Uh, yes, absolutely. He had to master the regular language enough to be able to entirely reverse it in his mind. And by the way, he also wrote regularly. But when he wrote his own plans, he wrote in in reverse, so to speak. Yeah. So I don't feel like that counts. The no, only he reason had a more advanced knowledge. He was the least dyslexic of us all. Exactly. The only reason I'm bringing this up is that Doctor Who is meant to be an educational show as well. And if you're going to ham-fist that one thing into this episode that is educational, please make it right. Yes, don't just go to dyslexia.org, take what they say at face value. (laughs) And to be fair to Chibbers, he probably thought if anyone can be trusted on the finer details of dyslexia, it's It's dyslexia.org. Yeah. But you need a second opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's not even on Wikipedia. Uh, I don't think it was, no. Maybe they've edited it in the seven years since, though. Oh, maybe. Uh. (laughs) Anyway, okay, I've got a question for you. In the very beginning, we get to see... Well, let me rephrase that. In the very beginning, Amy and Rory get to see future Amy and Rory. Yes, waving. Ten years into the future, their future selves. Does this well, well, the Doctor does. I mean, they only see tiny stick figures, and he, he has the little pair of binoculars. Oh, right. And he... Okay, really? Yes, and he says, well, it's you. Oh, quite, right. quite nonchalantly, really. Yeah. Like, well, yes, it is, but, um, but we shouldn't go over there and, and talk. Just... Just ignore them. <laughs> don't don't look to see if they start following us because the universe would implode on itself. But there's a potentially be. more interesting episode going on over there. <laughs> yeah. But I'm assuming that this is going to be revisited again in part two. But does this work? The little I remember of what happens to Amy and Rory would negate the possibility of ten years into the future, Amy and Rory showing up to wave at them. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And do you remember that when Amy was first introduced or very early in her run and i was like did moffat have in mind their exactly, ultimate yes. demise at that point apparently nowhere near if Ex- this episode is anything to exactly yeah so yeah curious to see what they're going to do with that but i'm assuming that that's going to happen again because as you say it was done so nonchalantly it was clearly just dropped into this the episode would have been no better no worse without that scene so clearly it's there for a reason i.e it's going to return in part two i'm assuming yeah, and it's probably to do with what they showed in the preview, where the Doctor suddenly starts talking about fixed points in time. And this oh, is, yeah. 
and this is not one of those and nothing of that sort has popped up in part one nothing like it oh apart from this sort of bit of very oblique foreshadowing so, I didn't think about that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, we should, should definitely dedicate a little bit of time to predictions. Oh, well... Oh, I'm curious now. I, I assume that the crack will come back and... Oh, no, and really? And the doctor will say, well, that's why time isn't fixed and that's why we can do whatever we like and that's why you were there and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Oh. Because oh. everything's up for grabs in the new Muffet world. Oh. Yeah. Ably abetted by Chibnall. Oh, that's... Oh, that's... That sucks a little bit. I, okay, I, you predict something better. Well, I'm I'm now thinking that this is wrong. But I was going to say, well, presume not presumably, but possibly, uh, older Amy and Rory could help them in some way, in some Bill and Ted fashion. You know, future Bill and Ted coming back to put up a sign, hey, duck, you know, that sort of thing. So future yeah. Amy and Rory could show up at some point. Let's say, for example, Amy or Rory... Uh, being pulled down underground, Rory, let's say, because Amy's already down there, Rory's pulled down, and as he is... Uh, you mean Rory's sucked off by the ground? Rory, yes, Rory is sucked off by the ground. Yes, you got it in there. Yes! yes. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> the line that didn't make the intro. Oh, the Beast Cow. So he's, he's pulled under, and then something pulls him back up, but he can't see who it is, but it is future Rory. You know, that sort of thing. Or someone else is caught under the dome and is helping them, but who could it be? Oh, it must be future Amy or future Rory, except they're now avoiding contact because they don't want to have the same situation that happened, at, you know, in the episode Father's Day. Rose meets her dad and she tackles herself and all of a sudden, holy shit, the universe implodes. Right. Which is presumably what he's referring to. It's like, oh, well, don't go over there because then, you know, nonsense is going to rain down on the earth. That's why the doctor had to obey his hundred feet restraining order in the Angels one, where he had to wait for Doctor without a coat to leave the screen so Ooh. he could sneak in and whisper into Amy's ear. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah, implosion alert. Implosion alert. Same matter can't occupy the same space. Mm. Time cop. Ah. Oh. Yeah, good film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say good. <laughs> you mean A. <laughs> <laughs> Time Cop, a film. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Well, we were on the theme there of the earth swallowing and cracks. Yeah. And holes and mouth holes. And <laughs> this whole series is just rife with orifices. <laughs> what is it? Where it's, are you going with this? <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a recurrent theme. It's inescapable. That and mm -hmm. everybody get in the church. Yes, I was also thinking that. So this is, what, the third time in a row that we've had that? Possibly? Certainly the second time in a row. Yeah. So we had it in Father's Day, which we mentioned just a second ago. We had it in, oh. um, what was the last one? Amy's Choice. Yep. We have it in this one. You know what? This is just a general trope in lots of stuff. Like, yeah. let's hide in the church, which is uh, understandable. It's a sanctuary. It's, you know, yeah, I, I get it. We've just had a lot of it recently. <laughs> yeah, and, and granted, there isn't much else in a tiny, mostly abandoned Welsh village yeah. that would be standing. Wait, hang on. This isn't even a village. This is a church, a cemetery, and that's it. Oh. A, a, a drilling thing, oh, which seems right. to be right next to the church. There aren't, there's no, like, residential area. No, you're right, because they said that they all come in, they travel in from outside. There's nothing here. There, it's a church next to a drill. Right. Yeah, oh, okay. But they didn't need to set it up that way. Yeah. 
Doesn't they have a priest, any by the way. Why didn't we even get a priest? In fact, the church seems almost abandoned, right? When they're in there, it looks it looks completely abandoned. Yeah. Haphazardly, you know, just stuff's just been plonked in there. And I've been on holiday to Wales. And, and <laughs> Did you so, see many places like this? There are a few places like that where, okay. I mean, no, no, it wasn't just a massive drill and a church, but there are places where the population is depressed or the Christian population is depressed, but the churches oh, wow. are all kept open because of all the people sort of walking by on all the various trails who like to pop in and see a nice church and drop, you know, 50p in the box and that keeps it going for the tourists. So hmm. I can believe this church was left open to the exclusion of everything else. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Would they still be burying people there? No. Oh, wait, Aunt Gladys. Exactly. Oh, yes, and then Uncle Mr. Gladys, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They were made for each other, Gladys <laughs> and Mr. Gladys. Can we talk uh, Silurians for a second? We should. Let's we really do that. should. Because this is a Silurian episode. In Classic Who, we've only encountered the Silurians once so far, I think. Oh, shit, haven't we? I think we have only encountered them once. You s- Oh, and that's in, in the Silurians, or Doctor Who and the Silurians. We've encountered their cousins, the sea demons. Oh, no, sea devils, sorry. Sea devils. Okay. Who are also not from the Silurian era. He even makes a reference to that in this episode. He says, they should be known as the, what is it? Homo reptilia? Eocenes. Eocenes, right. Yeah. And they're 300 million years out of their comfort zone. Yes, exactly. I, I said before, this is a direct sequel to that episode. Did I say how it's a sequel? No. In that episode, that episode, or that serial, ends, spoilers for Doctor Who and the Silurians from like 1970, 1970, 1970. Wait, 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 go back and listen to the episode on Who Back When and come back. We will wait. Yeah, by the way, I did today. That was part of my preparation for this recording. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a hilarious review. Please listen to it. And we're back. (laughs) So that serial ends with units detonating a some explosive at the entrance of a, to a cave where the Silurians are. The Silurians, the remaining surviving Silurians, they go, it's basically to seal them in, the surviving Silurians, they go into hibernation and they go, we're going to go into hibernation for 50 years. That was 1970. This episode is set in 2020. This is exactly 50 years later. Oh, wow. Cool, right? That That is really cool, yeah. So this is, in my mind, this is a sequel to that. And, and the Silurians who are awakening now, they are the Silurians that went to sleep in that Pertwee serial. Except they're very different. So, mm. for for instance, the original Silurians had a third eye in, in, the, in their foreheads with which they could do all manner of deus ex machina shit. Right. They could open doors, reprogram computers, kill people, fire lasers, uh, build doors, openings in walls, rebuild walls. Oh, wow, a, so a sonic slash laser slash Minecraft eye. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Uh, and uh, so they've done away with that eye. Well done, by the way, because that eye was really annoying. <laughs> but then they've also added that crazy tongue that, like, whips... What's his face? The chap. Tony. Tony. And gives him some sort of disease. Yeah, tasty necks, green-veined Tony. However, I did say that this is also kind of a remake of that original one, because in the original one, the Silurians, they spread a disease. They have a virus, and they intend to kill off all apes, all humans, with this virus. A Silurian-transmitted disease. And in this one, we get to see one of them infecting Tony. Yeah. So maybe this is the beginning of that pandemic. 
However, in another lack of joined-up thinking... Go for it. They should just be waking up in 2020, shouldn't they? they exactly. just happenstance, but instead they have to set... They have to... The stupid, dirty apes on the surface have to set it in motion with a really hackneyed, trite, obvious device. Yeah. Which has been used or bettered before in any number of different media. <laughs> yeah. Including Doctor Who itself. But do they actually awaken them? Because it seems as... I mean, I, I feel like they should. And according to Classic Who, some Silurians are waking up right now, like in 2020, right? Yeah. Well, maybe... maybe Okay, maybe I will... I these will these dudes have a whole society. They have a whole city underground. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe I will suspend judgment and we will see the society half woken up and in the process of still waking up. And they will explain that some of us woke up and then we heard that our life support systems were under attack in a massive coincidence yeah and so yes now this clumsily comes together rather than just naturally grows organically from the end of the last serial as a sequel i don't know but for the moment it still stinks of mediocrity <laughs> the doctor does say that they are a different branch of the species sorry i've just checked up my uh, checked my notes and he yes, does say this he did say that instantly before i know exactly how long their venom glands will therefore take to recharge even though I've never encountered this Wait, subspecies he before. He says that? Yes, it'll take 24 hours, I'm very sure. How does he know that? He doesn't. I missed that line. Yeah. He absolutely does not know that. The Sigurans <laughs> do have no venom glands, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Or he's aware, rather. But he's still going to take their mask off and, and get right up in her face. The, these sellers look very different. They are streamlined as balls. They look... Actually, wait, I'll take that back. They are streamlined exactly like balls are not. Like, they, they are... <laughs> they, they are... They glide through pants. <laughs> <laughs> these ones are incredibly, like, just aerodynamic and sexy and, and cool. Yeah. Right? They Where, leave balls tumbling in their wake. Whereas the, I mean, I listened to I, the review of the Silurians only today. We refer to the original Silurians as a pile of foreskin. That's what. Oh, what? <laughs> uh, I mean, presumably, that's what they looked like. Presumably, they're still reptilian and green. They're brownish. Brownish. Oh, yeah. Okay. Hmm. So, do you want to like, see a picture of them? Shall I show you a picture of original Silurians? I'm imagining they're sort of big clunky komodo dragon types no hang on wait. no okay they went go. a different direction yeah oh the top one. wow that's like groot oh uh, yeah sort of or groot's cousin <laughs> more of a cousin to groot than no groot's more of a cousin to them than the modern Silurians are yeah oh dear <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so these look very different is my point anyway that is shockingly different actually right? yeah but, I mean, but okay. an actual comparison shot on whobackwhen.com this time okay, unlike well. when you didn't oh, for shit. mr nainby oh, damn. Damn. you're right i didn't for mr nainby oh, well you know what maybe you're listening to this in the future podcast land and uh, i've since rectified <laughs> this uh, um oversight yeah yeah nainby nainby <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. But yeah, I mean, I guess you have to say as well, like, different resources, different methods of creating TV prosthetics and so on. It was the 70s, like a, a different era of TV productions. Okay, so let's compare that to the Daleks have always looked the same. Yeah. Space tanks with plungers. Yeah, I mean, Cybermen look wildly different now to how they did before. Well, the Mondasian Cybermen go back to the original. But yeah, but the Mondasian Cybermen are only the Mondasian Cybermen to, to harken back to the original visual of the Cybermen. I mean, the yeah, yeah, like the Klingons without the head grooves that, you know, we don't talk about that. That's yeah, exactly. 
Except apparently we do now in Discovery. Yes. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. Then, well, I mean, we that. don't talk about it, but they have them again. Anyway, so throughout the long run of Classic Who, did Cybermen evolve towards? Yes. Yes. Yes, they did, but they only evolved towards it as the BBC gained a higher budget for this particular production, and you know, makeup became more advanced. Okay, so now my next question is, did the Silurians come back later on and look more like modern Silurians, but you just haven't got to them on Classic Who yet? Uh, they do definitely reappear. I mean, I'm going to look them up again. Hang on. Yeah, they don't look that much better. <laughs> Here you go. Oh, they're fishier than before. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not it at all. They, they are recognisably fish rather than reptiles. Yeah, exactly. So they've jumped a whole... And there's definitely, I mean, they've jumped I, a I don't whole... know... It's not kingdom, is it? Because it's the plant in the animal kingdom. What is it? Phylum. They've jumped a whole oh, well phylum. Done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> the woman who plays this Silurian, the one that they capture, I can't remember what her name is. The actress is called Nev McIntosh. She's the same actress who later portrayed Madame Vastra. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, she is. Uh, I recently saw her in Ripper Street. Awesome show. Am I right in thinking, this is just based on the preview of part two, am I right in thinking that all Silurians, at least in this double feature, once they take off their masks, they are played by Nev McIntosh? Oh, really? Well, I don't know. Either that, or it's the same character who's now down under and leading an army. I feel like that was a different yeah, character. An army of, all... an army of Nave Macintosh. Well, everyone's wearing the mask, so um, with the mask, everyone looks the same, right? But I like, the, feel... like the Sontarans last series. Yes, exactly. exactly the same thing. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is the case, dude. I don't know if this is the case. But I, I, I mean, right now, Nev Macintosh. Wh- what's her name? Let's just call her Alana. Is that her name? Uh, no, it's not Alana. Uh, oh, is it Christ? No, hang on, hang on. I, I have a note on. <laughs> Nev McIntosh's name in okay. this episode. Oh, really? Because of her accent, when she says it, the doctor's performing his monologue, he's not getting anything back, he <laughs> yeah. eventually gets her name out of her, and she says, in fact, would you like to soundbite it? Oh, I would. Alaya. So, Alaya, or whatever she says, okay. she starts off with a really strong accent. I'm the last of my species. And I, okay. for a while, I I'll could not it. place... Well, you just did. Oh, yeah. For a while, Sorry. I could not place where it was. And I thought, are we going to have a rather old-fashioned, sort of unsavory rendition of, I am an ancient species from Mother Africa, the cradle of life. Oh, and, no. Yeah, and that's what, I, that's what I thought this was going. And then after a few minutes, her accent became much less stilted and or mannered. And she just started talking almost normally. Uh. And it's a very strange few minutes. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I'll, I'll re-listen to the scene as I soundbite it. So, okay. And if I am wrong, please take out the last five minutes of our <laughs> podcast. We, we are talking sort of questioningly about a lot of things in this episode. So I think one thing this episode did quite well is it didn't give the entire game away. There was a long time where you had mm. no idea who the foe was. If you okay. haven't seen a preview. Yeah. Not even in the title is it given away. The Hungry Earth could be about anything. Yeah. Agreed. Finally, well done. Because normally they screw this up. Yeah. And Well, I mean, normally. And compare that to the Rise of the Cybermen, where you open on Roger Lloyd Pack going, Cybermen, arise! And then instantly there's a soft-focused Cyberman. You're like, well, there we are. And it's called Rise of the Cybermen as well. And sometimes you get them up front. Yeah, and- or, I mean, every single noun of the Daleks. You know, every single one of those episodes. Yeah, so this this episode did a fairly good job of 
not showing its hand yeah. straight away. Absolutely, well done. And so we don't know quite a lot about what's going to happen next week. We fear it may go down the same formulaic route, especially from the preview, which they couldn't quite resist. Yeah. But, yeah, in that sense, the story seems quite well paced and structured, but I think that's about it for me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I agree with it being well structured. No? At the very least, not in terms... I mean, I agree with you in saying that, yeah, they didn't give away the Sontarans, not the Sontarans, the Silorians until late in the game, but I don't think it was well-paced as a as an episode. Okay. Everything happens way too swiftly and way too abruptly. And really frenetically. Yeah. Aside from the cold open, I don't want anything to happen too abruptly. The, the cold open is meant to be... That's, that is... That's a cold open, right? Yeah, it's we meant would, to be compressed. Yeah. But then... After that, everything that happens is just like, boom, boom, plot point, plot point, plot point, plot point. There are Amy and Rory from the future. The Doctor's just introduced himself, and all of a sudden the computers are making noise and there are holes in the ground. Like, there's there's nothing else there. You know, the, the, the second he arrives, someone's disappeared. Amy gets pulled underground. Later on, the TARDIS gets pulled underground. Very abruptly, the TARDIS gets captured. Like, oh, we'll go into the TARDIS, we'll go on an adventure. Nope, no adventure, because we're being pulled underground. Everything happens yeah. way too quickly in this episode, I feel. With maybe the exception of um, the everything succeeding the montage, so when the kid is running around in the in the churchyard, for example, like that that isn't frenetic, choppy editing. That's actual suspense, right? And uh, yeah, although I wish they did a bit less of the just the actor in the suit running from right to left. Yeah, when it could have just grabbed the kid in that time and been gone already. Oh, absolutely. In fact, you don't even need it because you can bio whatever it was, bio manipulates bio something. Yeah. The soil. What's it called? You know what I mean. Bioprogramming. That's the one. There you go. Thank you. So the doc is wearing Ray Bans in this one. Where does he get them from? Oh, he's got them in his pocket, along with his Dennis the Menace catapult thingy. This is another thing for me that doesn't quite join up. What? Because we see Amy underground getting scanned, heat scanned. Yeah. In exactly the same way as the Doc then does with his Ray-Bans. So I assumed what was going to happen was that these Ray-Bans would fall off a Silurian at some point. When it's trying to, <laughs> when it's trying to get Ambrose yeah. and Tony... You know, and and Tony enters the fray, and then the Doctor comes along. And I expected just a half-second establishing shot. What is Silorian running around with a pair of uh, heat-vision Ray-Bans? Because it's dark. But they're Ray-Bans. Well, manufactured by Silorians. Okay, so don't make them (laughs) Ray-Bans. It's simple. If you're going to... Either way, it's stupid. If it's... if Either the Doctor just pulls it out, and it looks exactly like what we've been seeing, but it's unconnected to that in any way... Or the Silurians, like you say, they, they've been importing designer sunglasses <laughs> to their subterranean lair. I thought it was worth noting that this is, I believe, the first time that... No! Oh, sorry! The second time that the Doctor dons a pair of... Uh, uh, what are they called? Oh, when you said the Doctor dons, it got me so excited for a second, and then you went a different way. The Doctor dons... Oh. No, not Donna. No, no, no. <laughs> Uh, what are they called? Wayfarers? Is that what they're called? That model? Whatever. So I have no idea. Where's Nick when you need him? Patrick Troughton wears a pair of sunglasses like that in one serial. I can't remember what the oh. serial was now. But only that one time. I did not expect you to to call out Petrow. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like 
Tennant was trying to look cool one day. I, I don't remember Tennant ever, ever wearing them. I don't think Eggleston ever did. But Patrick Charlton def- definitely wore them. I think there's a screenshot on the respective episode of, uh, you know, on whoback.com, but I can't remember which one it is now. But the, I think it's the one where he goes to Atlantis, Underwater Menace. I think the Underwater Menace. Okay, so p- potentially another callback then. Maybe. But I was going to say, yeah, so it, there, there is that. But he just wears sunglasses then to sort of blend in. But then later on, when we get Capaldi, he is wearing the Sonic sunglasses. Do you remember? Yes. So, mostly reviled by Oh, fandom. yeah. Oh, I hated them. Everyone hated them, right? But in New Who, this is where they first show up. Yes. And if only it made a shit of sense. Yeah. That's, that's, that's true. Yes, I'm with you on that. Because there's no reason why they, they had to be sunglasses. They could have been some slightly clunkier version of visual aid that in the, in the fight... The Silurian drops, the doctor picks them up, looks through them, thinks, I could do a clever with these. <laughs> yeah. And and it all ties together rather than, well, I just got this in my pocket and for no reason this is going to follow. This episode, like you say, it seems structurally weak because it's just a sequence of scenes. That's the thing, yeah. There's where, where the great episodes flow sequentially and they look forward and they call back and, okay, maybe that will happen a bit more across the parts but within this one part it was just like here's the thing and here's the thing and this happens and then that happens and they're over there and they're over there and they're coming up there and so yes sequence 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 very episodic yeah yeah and i sort of i sort of get how that keeps you off balance and it stops you being able to predict what's going to happen but there are better ways of of doing that sure There there are episodes where that is done better so in part two what what needs to happen in order to rectify this can it be rectified well at this point, it's a completely different ball game, isn't it? Because <laughs> I, I like what they've done with Alea setting up one of you three is going to kill me. And blatantly, all the signs point to Ambrose at this point. I mean, Tony had a look, and he's got a reason, because he's going all veiny. Yeah. It's not going to be Rory, unless unless it's to barter for Amy's life or something. Yeah. And she's like, ha ha ha, I'm going to kill Amy now. And then Rory, Rory mans up. And clubs are on the back of the neck or something. Yeah, but you think that's actually going to happen, though? Well, I don't know. I She's was... not going to die. No one's going to kill her. Well, I. but she says that they might. I... Oh, I just thought of something. If Ooh. someone's going to kill her, I reckon it's Ambrose. Well, so did I. But then I thought of the reasons that the other two had as well. But you, do you remember the setup with the weapons when she's like she's putting bats, a rifle, and a, a like a stun gun? Yeah. In her car, and she clearly looks at them like, yeah, one or more of these items is coming back later on, hint, hint, it's obviously going to be the stun gun, right? Yeah, they Uh, they might as well have done the James Bond, wah, 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 wah. Yes, exactly. They couldn't have given that pile of weapons more screen time. But it could be misdirection. But it's a vain hope, perhaps, or a slender hope. At the very least, see, I don't, I'm not sure anyone's going to get killed, but if anything, she is carrying the stun gun on her. It's the only small item that she had. She hasn't hidden the rifle on her person, but the stun gun could be in a pocket or something. She 100% has it, yes. Yeah. You're right. And so at some point in part two, she's going to point it at Alaya, Alaya, whatever, and... Alaya! Alaya! They have at least opened up or left open the possibility it could be one of the the other two. You know what? I don't actually even remember this line of one of you is going to kill me. Yeah, it's when... And also the Doctor... I know exactly the scene, but I don't remember the line. Yeah, and the Doctor sets up as well with amazing foresight and certainty, doesn't he? When he's saying, 
you four in the church, you have to be the absolute best of humanity. And, and without you, what's oh. going to happen in part two, there is no context for that whatsoever. That does not fit the situation at all. He, he basically should just be saying, well, calm sit- down, stick together, don't split into factions and don't do anything stupid. Not You have to be the greatest example of humankind. Well, effectively, you're saying this is first contact and, and you're going to be the ambassadors at this point, right? Yes, but they're not because he's the one going down. Yeah, that's true. But he doesn't want to go down. He doesn't intend to go down, does he? Oh, wait, he does. Yeah, where... Where else is he going in a TARDIS? Yeah. He's clearly going after He's Amy. going to the Shadow Proclamation to get the, you know, <laughs> myriad forces... Oh, I don't know. No, he's going to go and get Amy and what's his face, Mo. Yeah. Uh, which. which yeah. So either way, he's going to the giant underground city. He's yeah, just you're right. rocked up in a slightly different bit of it. He's closer to his destination this time than he was with Rio. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, that's a lot of um, sort of tension and excitement for very little outcome. <laughs> what did you think? Ooh. Of Mira Sayal in the TARDIS and Mira Sayal in general in this episode. And who is Mira Sayal for people who don't know? I don't know. I recognise her, but I don't. I don't know where from. Enlighten us. <laughs> While IMDb says she is known for Doctor Strange, she was in Doctor Strange. I don't remember that even. Yeah, but that's just the highest-grossing thing she's been in. She was, yeah. you know, Doctor Patel. She had as big a part in that as Nina Wadia had at the beginning of this series as the. The doctor in the hospital, basically blanking Rory, not listening to Rory. She's in Paddington 2. What she is most famous for, or what she came to my attention as, was as a part of the comedy quartet behind Goodness Gracious Me. Have you ever heard of that? I don't think so. Who are they? It was sort of a breakout comedy series for South Asian people in the BBC. Is okay. Goodness Gracious Me! And that was a big break, and she's been in loads of stuff from then. She's been in the Kumars at number 42 as Ummy, and... Okay. Basically, she's great, and she's comedy royalty. And I think her role is a bit underwhelming in this episode, because last week, Marie and Jim were like, Mira Sayal, Mira Sayal! And then this week, I was like, oh, Mira Sayal. Oh. Oh. Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe she gets to do something next week, because I did not... Well, she does. She does go down with the doc. I did not expect her to suddenly... She she seems to lose, like, 20 years. Like, one, one second, one scene, she's... You know, smooching centuries-old Tony, well, I was who's on say, the brink of death. <laughs> well, I was going to say, isn't it because of the smooch? Oh, maybe. I have right? thought that. It's like, it's, holy shit, this is a whole new phase in her life that's about to start. Also... She's running away the night before her wedding. Also, this is a person who is kind of romantically interested in some dude, and, and their entire lives just revolve around drilling into the earth for no apparent reason and all of a sudden lots of sci-fi shenanigans are happening and happening around them wouldn't you also suddenly lose 20 years yeah that's true yeah and i suppose it's a parallel to what happened to amy isn't it i could settle down and be domestic at this point or i could go off on an adventure of indeterminate length yes but the comparison doesn't isn't a hundred percent analogous because in in her case as in sorry in amy's case it's like well she knows nothing but that relationship, and now something new and exotic is happening, whereas here, possibly, she's been alone for a while. At the very least, she's not been in a relationship in the most recent past, and all of a sudden, this dude is kissing her. It's like, hey, like you didn't know that I was totally besotted with you. Bingo yeah. bongo. A whole world of boning has just opened up for her. <laughs> you know? Of course she's happy. Everyone's happy. I'd I, be happy. Of course she's happy. I'm not 100% convinced that she welcomes Tony's advances. 
Oh, really? I wonder if she, she might kisses be like... him back afterwards. He kisses her. He, she goes, oh, Tony, you have an erection. And he goes, like you didn't know. And then she kisses him again. Oh, okay. She's clearly happy about this. They've been working together. They're good friends. Yada, yada. Okay. She's I, seen his drill. Yeah. She's seen how deep he can drill. And other double entendre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I thought that maybe it was her way of saying, all right, Tony, cool. Cool your jets for maybe half an hour. and <laughs> Let's save the world first and then we can talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you've calmed down and you look a little less green, then I can let you down easy. But... <laughs> Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we have different relationships with her because you remember her from growing up. Maybe yeah. you're your adolescence. My juvenile years. Whereas I don't, I recognize her face as a celebrity, but I, I, I don't know her at all. So to me, it felt like, like, oh, doctor, why, like, don't let anyone, like just anyone into the TARDIS. It's a, it's a privilege. Only a, only a couple of people at a time get to do this. Yes, when, when she got into the TARDIS, my immediate thought, because I've been conditioned to think this by previous discussions on the show, was, <laughs> is her name going to appear in the opening credits next series? And n- next episode, and does that make her an official companion? Oh. And, it's like, uh, and is that canon oh. and all these questions that are essentially meaningless? But anyway. Well, they didn't dematerialize, and I think uh, unless they do... In part two, JD would tell you that, no, that makes her not an official companion. So they have to dematerialize. I think so. I think you need to travel somewhere in the, in the TARDIS. And, and They've traveled 21 kilometers downwards. And I was about to say, and uh, stepping into the TARDIS and the TARDIS then being kidnapped. They need to do that. Yeah. I see. I can't just so. take off like a rocket at the end of the episode either. <laughs> that's, that's ruled out too. Oh, it's so complicated. I mean, I said, well, I, this is just what I remember JD saying at the time. I don't know if this is true, but but the the sorry JD, I don't mean to doubt your words. But but what's what sprang to JD. mind? What sprang to mind was the what's it called? Kill the moon? Is that what it's called? Oh yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. When Capaldi Doc uh, just brings this random girl from, uh, oh, from the Clara's yes. class. That was one of the her. first things we ever talked about on the podcast. Yeah, together. it's just like no. Why do you do that? No. Don't just, don't just give that honour to anyone, no. We all get this honour, millions of us every week. We're privileged. Why can't it be extended to some in-universe people? No. It cheapens the whole concept, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. <laughs> it dilutes it. You know, you want to you talk about an overused concept? Oh yeah, let's hear it. In the cold open. Yeah. We're coming up to 21 kilometres. Five, four, three, oh. two, one. <laughs> <laughs> How did it make you feel? Well, I thought, okay... That's the countdown over, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> They're coming up f- to the surface. It'll take about 12 minutes. What about now? Nine and a half minutes. Eight minutes. Can we get a timer on that? Great. Three, two, one, zero. Keeps moving. Keeps moving. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, maybe that's just them emerging from the ground by six feet. Like, we'll see their pods. And so you can go to second minus one or whatever. But no, they haven't come through the top layer. They very specifically say that later on. I know, I was thinking about, about that as well. Because it just shows that he's not very precise with his timings, as in with his estimations. He gives a, a rough estimate of they'll be here in whatever it is, 21 minutes, 17 minutes or something. Yeah. The reason that it sprang to mind was that in parallel with watching this, I was also watching the next classic serial, 
Frontier in Space, in which there's one scene, this isn't a spoiler, I'm probably not going to bring this up in that review, but there's one scene where someone tells the doc over radio, we will dock with your spaceship in five seconds, and the doc looks at his watch for like three seconds and then puts it away. It's just like, wow, time means nothing in this show. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's about time travel, but it means very little. <laughs> And he's a Time Lord. He, he doesn't know how long a second is. <laughs> he can't go one one thousand, two one thousand. Oh, but it's also yeah. like, someone said to you, like, we'll be there in five seconds. Are you actually going to check, like, hmm, so what times are going to be then? Just, like, <laughs> just so I know. <laughs> just so if, if they take six, then I can say, your estimates are extremely rough. Sorry, that's for the next classic. But <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, for, for that reason, I was also in the mindset of, oh, wow, he is... His control of time, way below par. Yeah. And also, it takes him quite a long time to work out that it's going to be 12 minutes. I had worked it out way before he started doing his wavy handy nonsense. Well done, you. It's the numbers, isn't it? It's the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I've got some trivia if you're interested. Oh, yes, please. Numero uno. This is from IMDb. I'm going to read this out. It goes, Chris Chibnall echoed classic imagery from the John Pertwee era. The Discovery Drilling Project was reminiscent of the eponymous experiment in Season 7's Inferno, while the force field the Silorians created around... Kvuntaf? Hmm, is that how you pronounce it? Good enough. It? Oh, wait, good enough. I thought that was a correction of my pronunciation. No, it's, it's pronounced good enough. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was much like the heat shield around Devil's End in the season eight finale, The Demons. Very true. Actually, it, if, you, if it's cum tough, that sounds like Wales Welsh. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it can't be cum tough. No, whatever. Uh, 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 Chibnall also suggested that the Silurian guns could bear a marked resemblance to those wielded by the Sea Devils. I see. So Chibnall is extremely derivative. Well, I'm looking forward to his era. I don't know about derivative. He's, well, it's an homage. Okay. It's an homage. So he experiences great joy in wallowing in the rich, established universe of who? Is that what you're saying? At the most charitable interpretation. I'll, I'll, I'll go on to a, another piece of trivia, also from IMDb. The audiovisuals story Endurance, where Nick Briggs plays the Doctor, is a story not too dissimilar from this two-part story. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I don't know which came first, though. Okay, last bit of trivia. The working title for this episode was The Ground Beneath Their Feet. Mm, okay. Mm. That's I prefer The Hungry clunky. Earth. I prefer The Hungry Earth. Yeah. The Hungry Earth is actually a perfect Doctor Who title, isn't it? Yes. It really is. Not one that's basically been written by Salman Rushdie. Then it really would have been even <laughs> more derivative. Goodness sake. While we're I bounc- read that, actually. While we're bouncing between episodes, Go for it. when the guy is reaching into the Earth and you see his hand scrabbling around, that Ooh. reminded me of the hand mines. <gasps> Ooh. In, is it The Magician's Apprentice? Is it the magi- Yes, it is. Isn't yes. It? Yeah. And, okay, so that came afterwards. Yeah. But it, it, it did give me a little thrill. Yeah, maybe someone just was watching this episode upside down and they went, oh, good idea. It's I a- made a note of that scene as well, actually. Uh, but for a different reason, I wrote a layer of soft soil less than an arm deep. And the reason I wrote that was how the shit can anything exist on top of it? How can you walk on it? How can you build a house on top it's of it? It's not load-bearing soil. It's just a little hole. It's just a little <laughs> tunnel upwards, you know, in the in the midst, between the concrete pillars and pilings and all these okay. foundations. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, no, that, that checks yeah. out. That's fine. Okay. I'll redeem myself by pointing out something positive. When they first arrive in Not Rio, the doctor says the ground feels strange and he starts to jump around, which is an incredibly charming scene, I think. A really nice touch. And 
later on echoed with Capaldi. Oh, yes. When they go to... In fact, it's that shitty kill the moon scene, isn't it? Oh. He wants to figure out what's the gravity, and he's just jumping around and being, like, just annoying to everyone in the room. Yes. Yeah? Yes, that's right. Which is really nice. I, I like that the Doctor does these things every now and then. I think Tennant used a yo-yo at one point, right? Or oh, wait, is that Capaldi as well? No, I can't remember. Someone uses a yo-yo at one point to check the gravity. I think it's Tennant. Yeah. Oh, it's probably Capaldi now. Damn it, I can't remember. Sorry, podcast land. So it's hard to keep track, though, of all these multiple, you know, branching connections that are just reaching forwards and backwards across the whole history of Who. And, and there yeah. is a certain admirable weight to that once, yeah. once you enumerate enough of them. Okay, yeah. But it's, you know, I always say, I enjoyed watching this week's episode. Yeah. Oh, did you not? I actually didn't this oh, week. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. It actually started to drag. Well, that's really sad, because you've seemed really upbeat and positive for the past hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another thing. Okay. When he says, if you turned off the drill, why can I hear drilling? Yeah. What do you think that reminded me of? Oh. I'll give you a little time to think about it. Uh, Come on, Leon, TikTok, TikTok. TikTok, exactly, yes. It's it's the clockwork droids, right? Yes! Yeah, there you well go. Well done, girl in the fireplace. Oh, thank goodness. That's exactly what happens in that scene, where there's the girl and the doctor's under the bed, or he tells the girl to get under the bed. Madame so, du Pompadour. Yeah, so and if the clock doesn't work, why can I hear ticking or something to that effect? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Almost verbatim. Mm. So that concept has been done. Yeah, but that concept has been done in lots of different uh, films and TV shows. It's a it's a standard trope, isn't it? You know, if you blew out the candle, why can I still see a flickering? If you close the window, how come the curtains are blowing? Oh, I there, suppose. there are lots of situations like that. I Wait, suppose. that's not my hand you're holding. Ah, you know, there are lots of... Yes, yes, yeah? yes. Okay, but this is such a close repetition of it. And, okay. you know, when you're rating an episode, as we will soon be doing... Yes, we will. You've got to weigh up exactly... Everything. How, how much stuff... <laughs> Of what has happened, have you seen before, have you heard before, what have they added to it, and and set that against the luster of, like, the new zippy lines. In this ep in this series, we've had loads of zingers from Moffat yep. and his cronies, yep. even Simon Nye last week. This week, not many, right? Not really, no. No, I mean, even no. when, even when, um, I think it's a good example, when Mira Sayal says, does this happen to you every day? And the doctor goes, no. Every, Every other, other day. day. And we're supposed to be rolling on the floor, clutching our sides. Is, is that the best you can do? It's not much. <sighs> wow. I, I literally just wrote down my rating, and now I'm thinking I probably gave a too high rating. <laughs> Maybe I'll revise it in a second. Do you have any other notes that you want to bring up? Yes. There was a good thing I liked, which was the kid wants to go into the city. Okay. And he asked the doc, do you ever miss where you came from? Oh, yeah. And I think that before the doctor tries to get rid of Elliot forever to yeah. sacrifice him to whichever boogeyman is walking by. Deliberately and unequivocally. I think that they actually, they bond well together in that scene. That they, The two actors appear to interact very honestly. Yeah, agreed. And and I like it. And that was a nice, that was a nice bit. Yeah. And having come from a tiny village, as I've already said in this episode, yeah, I miss it too. Oh. I want to live in the big city. You want to be, live in the big city? No, I don't want to live in oh. the big city. Gotcha. Actually, there's one thing we haven't talked about at all. The vivisection. 
uh, down under. Oh, yes, because Amy's been trapped again, much like in The Vampires of Venice. Yes. Oh, oh damn it, you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're very right. Oh, my goodness, almost identical. Yeah, Tied except up. her feet are strapped up this time. They actually listened. Yeah. Okay, but didn't you find that incredibly horrific? Body horror in general, and the, and the dude, Mole, who's just given up, he's relented. That was scary, and that was actually the only bit that got my blood pumping, was seeing that Silurian surgeon advancing oh, with a... With some, a syringe or something. Yeah, yeah, or a scalpel, or both, or yeah. some horrific instrument. Ugh. Yes, that that was... That was nice. And you could see, you could only see their eyes, but their eyes were glinting with glee. Oh. And, oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that's re- that redeemed the end of the episode a bit for me. Oh. <laughs> You're smiling a little bit too broadly at the body horror and torture. <laughs> but, but I agree. Holy smokeroonies and the cheesecakes. Only time I've said that this this episode, by the way. Really? Yeah. That's, that, that's uh, slightly unenthused by this episode. Uh, but, but yeah, the tension in that scene, dreadful. I mean, in a good way. Yeah. You know? Oh, wow. Oh, you talk about dreadful. Yeah. I think I'll make this my last note. Okay. You have the doctor giving his rather incongruous speech in the church. Yeah. Nazarene spontaneously breaks into applause. Oh. Always a bold move for a writer to clap his own dialogue. Yeah, but it's a, it's like, it's a failed applause, isn't it? It's a failed attempt at starting a group applause. I suppose. Because she embarrassedly just stops. So sort of looks around and goes, oh, I can't believe I just did that. I, I suppose. And maybe that applause is supposed to motivate why then she is the only I one so, who yeah. is adventurous enough to follow him into the TARDIS and she's been convinced by him and charmed and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, I suppose that makes a bit more sense. But it just seems so <laughs> unworthy of applause at the time. But then I'm not Nazarene, so, you know, different strokes, different folks. Uh, shall we segue into our ratings with a sound bite that at least I thought was a little fun? Okay. This is from 2445. Can't you Sonic it? It doesn't do wood. That is rubbish. I don't just a Sonic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nice, nice callback. <laughs> <laughs> Fond memories. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we love or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. How about you go first? <laughs> okay, I haven't thought very much about what to say, but I do have a rating which I already regret now before having uttered this. Here are some things that I liked about this. After over an hour of berating this episode, maybe I should say what I like about this. I like that it's a return to a classic foe. I like that we introduced the Silorians in New Who. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No, I I liked a few things about this. I I thought some of the tension was was great, even though the map and the montage led to absolutely nothing. It was still... Like, it was well edited. It was a nice scene. It was kind of what you wanted. It was the Home Alone sequence of let's barricade ourselves in the church and let's set everything up and get ready and blah, blah. We didn't really talk about this, but they're under a dome and that in itself is a cool concept. It's a concept so cool that it it, it had me hooked to an incredibly bad TV show called Under the Dome for about three months before I finally fell off the wagon, oh. eh, got back on the wagon and... and kick that shitty show out the window. You should have just watched the Simpsons movie. It'd have been over in 90 minutes. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's, a, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I saw maybe five episodes, but it was five episodes too many. Anyway, so the, 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 it's a cool concept, and we didn't really talk about that, but I like that as an idea. The problem is that they didn't explore that idea here at all. They're cut off from the world. So show that. 
Show someone outside the dome trying to get in but not being able to communicate with them. Show, show, show them going, holy shit, all we need is that one gadget. Where is it? Oh, it's just on the other side oh, of the dome. yes. Show birds trying to fl- fly into the village and just getting electrocuted in mid-air. <laughs> exactly. Zaps, like a paraglider comes in, goes, <laughs> falls to the ground, just sliding down the edge of the force field. <laughs> In the episode The Daemons, the, the bit of trivia that I just read out, in the episode The Daemons, there is a heat shield, a dome, around this town, this village, and they incorporate that in the plot. It's fantastic. Like, there's so much tension around the fact that a unit is on one side of it, the doctor's inside of it. There's a helicopter trying to chase people into the dome so that they get burned alive. It's Wow! Like, there's so much stuff that you can do with the fact that you're encased in this dome, but they do nothing with it here. So, you know, nice thoughts, but... Is that uh, another empty callback, then? It is, actually, yeah. Oh, man. What else? Uh, I mean, finally we get an episode that is officially set in Wales, (laughs) as opposed to (laughs) all of those episodes that are officially set in London, but that are actually set in Wales. But Um, the, the time crack was in Cardiff. Oh, yeah, you're right. Or the energy crack whatever back back to the crack again yeah <laughs> yeah you're right you're right well what, what am i gonna say liked some bits didn't like some other bits i feel like i, I have nothing to tell you about rory because he played no part in this i can i can't say anything about how i feel about amy because she played no part in this i have no relationship with any of the rest of the like, the ancillary characters not even what's her face who got to get into the tardis because i don't know her from when i was a teenager and she did very little for me in this episode so i'm gonna give this a oh mostly just out of nostalgia and it's it's just it's nostalgia that i'm giving myself rather than this episode giving it to me it's giving this a 1.6 wow yeah do you know what actually i don't think you should be ashamed of that rating okay because (laughs) i don't think i'm gonna go that low okay i mean i know i have been trashing this episode and it wasn't particularly enjoyable and it wasn't particularly lustrous but it wasn't awful as much as I've been dumping on it a la Marie, I don't think I'm going to give it a Marie-level rating. <laughs> I mean, okay, you can criticise the freneticism, if that's a word. Great word. Yeah, of, of the episode. But at least it does keep things ticking along. Even if the procedural stuff was boring, something then unfailingly happened within a couple of minutes, and we were just born along with the tide of events... But overall, it is just, it's just like the hands. They're just reaching for stuff and just clawing at empty air. They might come back with a concept, but they don't marry it to all the other concepts. It's, it's like a trivia page of an episode. And some people will love that. And I am not that kind of fan, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, wow. So, also, I didn't like the shameless Sherlock audiobook tie-in. Like, like, guess what? We're going to be producing this next week. Better tune in for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, of course. I didn't make that connection. Yeah. I did like the exciting music played on the double bass. So, at, at one point in the episode, it was like... <laughs> it was very, very, very <laughs> low down there. But I am, I am clutching at straws, much like Mr. Chibnall trying to fill out his script. I'm going to give this a 1.8. Very nice. Okie dokie. Right. Oh, P.S. Why is he reading the bloody Gruffalo? Because, I don't know, brand recognition? Maybe the BBC was was busy producing the adaptation of the Gruffalo at that time. He is a grown man. He's reading it to his dyslexic child. Why is he... To teach him how to read, to try and encourage him to keep reading. Why is he reading it at work? He's reading it before he goes on shift. He's reading it at work. 
Oh, oh, later in the episode. At work. Yes, he is. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. They didn't have a library. The, the mobile library failed to turn up that day. Because it, you know, it got disintegrated in the force field. There's like a pile of librarian ashes, quarter of a mile <laughs> north of the church or something, blowing into sheep's faces. I don't know. Listener minis. Let's. Listener minis. Okay, so this week we're opening with Michael Ridgway. Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. <laughs> you get worse at that I ruin every it. week. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Anyway, Michael. Hello, Michael. Michael begins under the dome meets predator. Ooh. Under the dawn. Nice. Terrible show. (laughs) (laughs) Not you too, Michael. Things Michael liked. The Silurians, with and without predator masks, look excellent. Kudos to the makeup and costume teams. Mm. And Amy and Rory waving to their older selves was interesting. Yeah. Do you want to take part one of the beefs? I will. The beefs. Doing all that in eight minutes. Are you f***ing kidding me? I'm going to have to bleep that. This is worse than the one second... Bullshit! Bullshit. (laughs) In flesh and stone. (laughs) How did the kid draw that perfect picture of the town? In colour. And how did they install all the gadgets in time? I can't wire a plug in eight minutes. Couldn't they have stayed in the control room where all this stuff was already set up? Good point. (laughs) Yeah. What was the point of the plan anyway? Wouldn't the Silorians just have turned off the cameras again? Michael continues with yet more beefs for a clash of civilizations. This episode is woefully underpopulated. Mm. Classic Silurian Sea Devil episodes felt epic with the army, the Silurians, the navy, the Sea Devils, and massive, massive death. Typically depressing fifth Doctor story, Warriors of the Deep. This has five people in it. Where did all the worker dudes go from the opening? Is it a bank holiday? (laughs) I wanted Silurian versus Ape carnage and i was left disappointed (laughs) he continues yet more beefs while the silurian makeup is fantastic they don't look as reptilian as the classic versions i wanted giant rubbery lizard bug eyes michael then segues on to questions is this the first appearance of the sonic sunglasses well you might ask michael (laughs) what happened to the dead body in the grave also being dissected can you explain the bluegrass to me uh, no. Uh, no. It's a genre of music. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best we've got. I mean, maybe next week they can say, well, after 50 years, our life support systems to enable us to wake up at the appointed time as makes sense, and we will now make explicit, started drawing in oxygen or something or some element or whatever from the sky, thereby turning bits of the gla- grass blue. Excellent explanation that I have no doubt will be omitted from part two. And Michael concludes his questions with, why isn't Silurian Venom more potent slash instance? Tension, Michael! Yeah, I thought it was potent enough, to be honest. Yeah, Uh, this is like Tony's own personal But I've heard that before. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Sorry. He continues, uh, slash concludes, underwhelmed considering a return of a classic baddie. Next week's visit to World of Reptiles looks more promising, but the subterranean set, so far, is not a patch on alien underworlds of fourth Doctor story, Revenge of the Cybermen. Fifth Doctor, Slit Your Wrist Story, Caves of Androzani, and Mega Awesome, Seventh Seventh Doctor Doctor Story, Dragon Fire. Michael concludes with a rating 1.5 out of 5 blades of blue grass. (laughs) Thank you very much, Michael. I think we're on the same page there, Michael. Yep. Next up, we've got Tracy Fountain. 
Hi, Tracy. Tracy goes, there's a lot to love about this episode and a few things to hate. We start with a classic pattern. Doc strides in, smells a mystery, gets that little twinkle in his eye, and gets right to work. Rory experiences an important rite of passage for companions, impersonating an authority figure. The Rory-Doctor interactions are pitch perfect. I love the almost high-five they shared just after capturing Elia in the Meals on Wheels truck. Rory does have a role in this episode. That is a- bait. Yeah. <laughs> And I forgot about that high fire. That is actually quite nice. Um, Amy doesn't get to say much besides, I dressed for Rio. Did you just shush me? <laughs> but surely that's a time constraint. And we have a dynamic character in Nasreen with some very enjoyable friend chemistry with the Doctor. Oh, friend. Friend. <laughs> let's talk Silurians. All right, Tracy, let's talk Silurians. On first watching, if I'd been armed with knowledge of Hartwell Trout and Pertwee, I could have maybe guessed the Silurians were the enemy. But it could also have been a daemon with a heat barrier, Ooh. or humans turned primord. <sighs> wow, this is deep. As for the Silurians' appearance, it's sleek and believable. I'd appreciate the reveal of Elias' face more if writing hadn't botched the moment by making it creepy. Seriously, Doc removes part of Elias' outfit without her permission, then gushes Ooh. dot 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 about how beautiful she is. Oh. And the fact that she is shackled, and he's grinning like a maniac only inches from her face, and this reads like a prelude to assault. Get with the program writers. <sighs> Uh, Tracy gives this a rating of when your ice cream is melting a little too quickly. Mm. That seems like a, a much higher rating than what we gave it. I don't know. I think Tracy's saying, I came in with a full ice cream and now I'm just left with bare cone. Because <laughs> <laughs> this episode just stripped my capacity for joy. <laughs> Possible. Yeah, very possible. Ladies and gents, you can follow Tracy on uh, Twitter. She is at Yekot Nyat Noof. And that is Fountain Tracy backwards. Our third and final listener mini-review is from Kyle Rath. Hello, Kyle. The sinister super spy himself. (laughs) Kyle begins, three years from now, and 21 kilometers under the surface of the quaint Welsh countryside, our future is waiting. Rory and Amy are there, and so are Rory and Amy. (laughs) (laughs) However, as our intrepid touristas find out, the beach in Rio is not always bluer on the other side of the greystone. Chibnall's gothic horror light reintroduction of the Silurians' eocenes does a decent job of building up the suspense initially by sashaying past and occasionally leaning on some of the more reliable horror fixtures. Number one, creepy church and cemetery. Number two, action and heavy breathing in the darkness. Number three, real live monsters with tongue. Number four, an endearing kid with a personal challenge. Smith's doctor in cool thermal sunglasses that I assume also have a sonic feature <laughs> dials up the weird alien to new heights and Nev Macintosh uh, simmers brilliantly as a liar. I imagine a side story where Eleven and Nasreen Chaudhry go off being sciency all over the universe. I still don't know what, what he is looking at on the sonic screwdriver when he takes a reading. Actually, that's a good point. There was a lot of sonicking in this episode There was well. a bit, yeah. It's like five or six, and there would have been more except he was thwarted. Oh, I know this bugs you, doesn't it? I like it. I like it. It was a bit too, you know... Matt Smith is very good at taking readings off the Sonic, though. He is? Like, you know, wielding it in front of him, like looking at the Sonic from different angles. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got a sort of scientist beady eye about it, but, Mm. mm, you know, you you can have even too much of that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. 
Car continues. Sadly, not a lot for Rory and Amy to do this time out except wave at themselves like idiots or wobble around ham-fisted scenes about engagement rings. If my review is a bit rambling, then I'm sorry because I'm making perfect sense. You're just not keeping up. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm saying oh because I can see his rating. Oh, yes. And that rating is 3.2 yeah. out of 5. <laughs> oh, my God. Curiously, the village remains sinkhole-free, while a six-inch device proves to be inferior to actual wood. <laughs> and then Kyle slyly says, I don't trust Ambrose. <laughs> oh. So that's who his money's on. Yeah. All right. Uh, fantastic. Thank you very much for sending in your mini, Kyle. People of Earth, you need to follow Kyle on Twitter. He is at Sinister Super Spy. That's super without any vowels. So Tony's been licked in the neck by an alien. Well, not an alien. Why isn't Rory, as a nurse, showing any interest in it at all? Does he know it yet? Has what? he seen it? Has he not seen it happen? Are they not all standing in the church doorway? Oh, yeah, you're right. But he hasn't seen the infection. Oh, I suppose. I but think Tony's it, standing there clutching it. Is it not his nursely instinct to think go Tony's over and be like, like, can I have a look? I think Tony's just like George A. Romeroing it. He's just like, ugh. No, 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 nothing to see here. I'm completely He's fine. He's Amy sandhanding it. Exactly. Oh, for goodness sake. That's another freaking callback. I've had enough of this. <laughs> End of episode. What have we got next? We have, um, well, on the new front, we have part two of this, which is called... Cold Blood. That's right. The next classic Who review is going to be of Frontier in Space, which I'm still watching and it's awesome. <laughs> and that's about it. Oh, you know what else Mira Sayal has been in? No. Broadchurch. Oh, oh yes, of course. Yeah, part of the Chibnall family. Oh my goodness, you're so right. Yes, of course. Okie dokie. In the meantime, people can follow you on Twitter, right? Yes, they can. You can dig me out at Drew Back When. <laughs> Excellent branding. You can high-five me online as well. I will high-five you right back. I'm at Ponkin. If you can't spell that, get a friend of... Use a Ouija board. <laughs> yeah, if you, can, if you can't spell that, then assuredly 90% of your friends are already following Ponkin. <laughs> Otherwise, why are they worth having as friends? Thank you so much. You've been a great audience. Catch you in the next one. Rock on. Be right next to each other. And cha-chao. Toodaloo. Blamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Then find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who Back When just got its very own Twitter account, no lie, so give us a follow. You guessed it, that's at Who Back When, all in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or <laughs> still funny, audio Who review. Cha-chow. Who Back When. Bing bong, future Pongan here. Slash dog past. Bing bong.